Welcome to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. What a thrill and a joy to look out over this vast audience tonight and to feel that we, have, we are of one heart and mind and one soul as we meet here. And uh, may I remind you that the words of that beautiful song that was just rendered becomes the basis for our being here the knowledge and the belief and the testimony that we have that the story told by the Prophet Joseph Smith is true. President Kimball sends his love to all of you. He is doing well. He is making remarkable progress. We know you are praying for him. We encourage you to continue to do so. We hope and pray that we will have him for a long time yet. It's good to have President Oaks here with us on the stand tonight and the leaders of the university and of the BYU stakes. Along with President Oaks, uh, we recognize President Robert Thomas, the academic vice president, and Brother Rex Lee. There are others here, of course, that I won't take time to mention. Brother Russell Nelson, one of our regional representatives, is here, and Brother Minear, also a regional representative. And we want all of you to know, and President Oaks to know, how proud we are of the way the university represents the church out in the world, scholastically, academically, and in the sports world. We're proud of what Lavelle Edwards did with the team down in San Diego, even though we didn't get it all. They did well, and they represented us in a remarkable fashion. And then in the, with Lavelle Edwards, I would like to acknowledge what he did in San Francisco in the East-West game yesterday. We're proud of the achievements of this university because of its diversity and the breadth of all that you are doing. I thought it was interesting in the newspaper this morning, the story story about Tom Bell of the football team, who has received a National Sportsmanship Award, the Nelson National Award for Sportsmanship, given by the Gridiron Club of Greater Boston. Isn't that wonderful to have a player from way out here in the Rocky Mountains selected as the sport to receive the Sportsmanship Award of the Year. And so I say to all of you, we're proud of what you're doing and proud of what you will become. Now I pray for an interest in your prayers and in your faith in us as we come here to speak to you on these occasions. And as I prayed and pondered for inspiration and guidance as to what would be appropriate to say here tonight, My thoughts have centered on you, the youth of Zion. 
Or, I'd better say, including the youth of Zion, you young adults of Zion, and you young marrieds of Zion, but all of the young people who are represented here in this audience. You all are children of a loving Father in heaven, and you have been born into the world at this challenging, challenging time. Just imagine, you have been reserved for this particular period of world history, reserved to come to the earth after the true gospel of our Lord and Savior had been divinely restored. You on whom this awesome responsibility is placed, mankind, because of its past and present failures, will soon be looking to you for solutions to these world problems. Today is the first Sunday of the new year. Today is the first Sunday of a decade, a new decade. There are 365 clean pages for you to record your history of this year and of the succeeding years. And I would pose the question to you, how will those pages read? And may I remind you that the Savior only had three years to accomplish his work. As we turn the corner into the 1980s, the world is flooded with warning signals, cautioning trouble ahead, political upheavals in vital areas of the world. Ancient religions are becoming inflamed. Energy is not only short, but its solution moving at a snail's pace. Inflation spreading unabated worldwide. There is no solution to the evils of the world except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, the hope of the world is in the lives of the youth of Zion. And let me repeat that to you. The hope of the world, because of what you believe and what you understand and what you stand for and what you might become, is in the lives of the youth of Zion. In your faith in a living God, your faith in his Son, our Savior, your faith and continuous involvement with affection in his restored church, the principle of faith is as firm as the pillars of heaven. And as you exercise your faith and use the gift of the Holy Ghost, you will influence people. You will influence events. And some of you will influence important world decision. decisions. That day will come. We pray for you. We believe in you. We have faith that you will be equal to the many opportunities that lie ahead for you. Today, mankind is losing ground in producing a moral society, a society that can keep our country going, a society that can keep us free, and a society that can keep us strong a society of mature adults who understand responsibility, integrity, and character.
But we not only live gospel principles, but we in the Church have the advantage of having heroes to emulate. Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. President Nathan Eldon Tanner, who had originally planned to speak tonight, is unable to be here. He, as is President Kimball and President Marion G. Romney, are near-perfect examples of the integrity and character so needed by mankind, not just in words, but in their lives. Now you, the youth of Zion, have heroes at home, in your fathers and in your family, but you also have heroes in some of these men who are leading the Church. A few months ago, President Spencer W. Kimball said of President Tanner, on the occasion of his receiving the Giant of Our City Award at a large civic banquet sponsored by state and city officials, as well as the business community in Salt Lake City, said President Kimball of President Tanner, how does one go about saying the proper things about a man like Nathan Eldon Tanner? All that is said seems to be so little and weak and inexpressive for this grand man for all seasons, for all climates, and for all situations. Certainly, Nathan Elder Tanner is a man to match our mountains, the President went on to say. Tall, rugged, unyielding, immeasurable. As the oldest of eight children, he assumed responsibility and grew to maturity in a rural area in Canada, where he first taught school and then moved gradually on to university status. His lovely, charming, and cooperative wife, Sarah Merrill, and their five beautiful daughters went with him as they left their home in Cardston and moved to Edmonton, where he began an additional career. There he became a cabinet minister and served as speaker of the Alberta legislature. He was called to serve as minister of lands and mines in the provincial cabinet and was chairman of the Alberta Research Council. This leadership was natural for Nathan Eldon Tanner as he served as chairman of this council and also on the board of governors of the University of Alberta. Always active in scouting, he served as Provincial Commissioner of Scouting for Alberta. Nathan Eldon Tanner, President Kimball went on to say, has become a great leader in industry, business, and education. His roots are planted in the foothills of Canada, where he became renowned. Following his resignation from government service, he organized the Merrill Petroleum Company. And then when the trans Canada pipelines needed a man of unusual courage, stamina, and vision. To forge its way ahead, he became its president and guided its destiny. He had gained experience in many fields, in cities, towns, provincial government offices, and now in, in, in industrial development. Everywhere and in every field, they found Nathan Eldon Tanner, a man of clear thinking, trained, able, and experienced. And having spent most of his life in Canada, 
engaged in government service and in an industry, he is held in high regard there by church members and non-members alike, where he became known as Mr. Integrity. His rise to importance was also in the spiritual field. He, became, he began as a branch president, a bishop, and then the first president of the Calgary Stake. His superior knowledge and experience brought him to Salt Lake City to help preside over the vast expanse of the Church, covering all the, nation, all the nations of the world. And here at Church headquarters, the President went on to say, given leadership over the financial interests of the Church. Soon after his call as a general authority, he was assigned as President of the West European, European Mission and since has assisted in the leadership of the entire Church where he is loved and appreciated by its millions of members as a counselor to the last four presidents who he has helped in giving his guidance and direction in Church affairs. Then President Kimball concludes by saying, This is a man of rare makeup, as approachable as a child, as wise as a father, as loving as a gentle brother. He has not shunned any obligation of which he was aware as a father, friend, and brother, or as a businessman, citizen, or civic leader, or as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he have health and long life and every needed blessing with his loved ones this day and always and forever. Thus our prophet characterized his first counselor, our President Tanner, who had planned a timely message for you here this night and unable to be here, has asked that I carry on some thoughts that he had planned to give. President Tanner says, During World War II, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, Elder Albert E. Bowen, wrote a book compiled from a series of radio addresses which he entitled Constancy Amid Change. The message of these talks were very timely. We were in a world of conflict and, and people the world over needed a message of certainty, assurance, and stability. This present era seems very similar in many ways to those turbulent war years. Today we face many perplexing issues. In addition to significant international political problems, we are experiencing one of the most difficult economic periods we have faced in many decades, the problem of inflation and personal financial management. Borrowing the title of Elder Bowen's book, President Tanner shares with us some experiences and convictions which have, drawn, which have been drawn by him over the 60 years of his working life. He has lived during each phase of the economic cycle, President Tanner has. As a young man getting started in life, he experienced personal depression. He has experienced a national and international depression as well as periods of recession and inflation. He has watched so-called solutions come and go with each change in economic cycle. These experiences led him to, to the same convictions as Robert Frost, who wrote, 
most of the change we think we see in life is due to truths being in and out of favor. Now we share with you tonight some of President Tanner's observations about constant and fundamental principles which, if followed, will bring financial security and peace of mind under any economic circumstances. First, he says, build a foundation and establish a perspective within which these economic principles must be applied. One day, a grandson of President Tanner's approached him and said, I have observed you and other successful men, and I have made up my mind that I want to be a success in my life. I want to interview as many successful people as I can to determine what made them successful. So, this young man went on to say, looking back over your experience, Grandpa, what do you believe is the most important element in success? President Tanner replied that the Lord gave the greatest success formula he knew of. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Some argue that some men prosper financially who do not seek the kingdom first. This is true, President Tanner goes on. But the Lord is not promising us just material wealth if we seek first the kingdom. In the words of Henry Isbon, money may be the husk of many things, but not the kernel. It brings you food, but not appetite. Medicine, but not health. Acquaintances, but not friends. Servants, but not faithfulness. Days of joy, but not peace of or happiness. President Tanner continues, Material blessings are a part of the gospel if they are achieved in the proper way and for the right purpose. I am reminded, he said, of an experience of President Hubie Brown. As a young soldier in World War I, he was visiting an elderly friend in the hospital. This friend was a millionaire several times over and who at the age of 80 was living at death's door. Neither his divorced wife nor any of his five children cared enough to come to the hospital to see him. As President Brown thought of the things his friend had lost, which money could not buy, and noted his tragic situation and the depth of his misery, he asked his friend how he would change the course of his life if he had it to live over again. The old gentleman who died a few days later said, As I think back over my life, the most important and valuable asset which I might have had, but which I lost in the process of accumulating my millions, was the simple faith my mother had in God and in the immortality of the soul. You ask me what is the most valuable thing in life? The old man said, I cannot answer you in better words than these used by a poet. And then this dying man asked President Brown to get a little book out of his briefcase and to read a marked poem entitled, I Am an Alien. And as President Brown read this poem to the man, I am an alien to the faith my mother taught me. I am a stranger to the God that heard my mother when she cried. 
I am an alien to the comfort that now I lay me, brought me, to the everlasting arms that held my father when he died. When the great war, when the great, uh, war came and called me, I deserted all to follow, never noting in my blindness I had slipped my hand from his, never dreaming in my dazedness that the bubble fame is hollow, that the wealth of gold is tinsel, as I since have learned it is. I have spent a lifetime seeking things I spurned when I found them. I have fought and been rewarded in many a living cause. But I'd give it all, fame and fortune, and the pleasures that surround them, if I only had the faith that made my mother what she was. Brother President Brown concluded, That was the dying testimony of a man who was born in the Church but had drifted far from it. That was the broken-hearted cry of a lonely man who could have anything money could buy, but who had lost the most important things in life in order to accumulate this world's goods. Now in the Book of Mormon, the prophet Jacob gives us important counsel in this matter. But before ye seek for riches, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if ye seek them. Seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, and to liberate the captive, and administer relief to the sick and to the afflicted. The solid foundation and the lofty perspective President Tanner is teaching us are these. We must first seek the kingdom, work and plan and spend wisely, and plan for the future, and use that wealth we are blessed with to help build up the kingdom of God. When guided by this eternal perspective and by building on this firm foundation, we can pursue with confidence our daily tasks and our life's work, which must be carefully planned and diligently pursued. It is within this framework that President Tanner outlines his some five principles of economic constancy. Constancy number one, pay an, an honest tithing. I have often wondered, he said, if we realize that paying our tithing does not represent giving gifts to the Lord and the Church, paying tithing is discharging a debt to the Lord. The Lord is the source of all of our blessings, including life itself. The payment of tithing is a commandment, a commandment with a promise. If we obey this commandment, we are promised that we will prosper in the land. This prosperity consists of more than material goods. It may include enjoying good health and vigor of mind. It includes family solidarity and spiritual increase. I hope that those of you not presently paying your full tithing will seek the faith and the strength to do so. As you discharge this obligation of your Maker, you will find great happiness the like of which is known only by those who are faithful in this commandment. 
Constancy number two, live on less than you earn. I have discovered, President Tanner continued, that there is no way that you can ever earn more than you can spend. I am convinced that it is not the amount of money an individual earns that brings peace of mind as much as it is having control of his money. Money can be an obedient servant but a harsh taskmaster. Those who structure their standard of living to allow a little surplus control their circumstances. Those who spend a little more than they earn are controlled by their circumstances. They are in bondage. President Heber J. Grant once said, If there is any one thing that will bring peace and contentment to the human heart and to the family, it is to live within one's means. And if there is one thing that is grinding and discouraging and disheartening, it is to have debts and obligations that one cannot meet. The key to spending less than we earn is simple. It is called discipline. Whether early in life or late, we must all eventually learn to discipline ourselves, our appetites, and our economic desires. How blessed is he who learns to spend less than he earns and puts something away for a rainy day. Continuing, President Tanner says, Constancy constancy number three, learn to distinguish between needs and wants. Consumer appetites are man-made. Our competitive free enterprise system produces unlimited goods and services to stimulate our desire to want more conveniences and surplus and luxuries. I remember the story told of the wife who announced to her tired, hungry husband one evening when he returned home that she couldn't fix dinner because the electricity was off. And her kind husband said, but dear, we have a gas stove. And she said, but the power's off and the can opener doesn't work. We do not criticize the system or the availability of these goods or services. We are only concerned about our people using sound judgment in their purchases. We must learn that sacrifice is a vital part of our eternal discipline. In this and many other countries, many parents and children born since World War II have known only prosperous conditions. Many have, condi- many have been conditioned to instant gratification. There have been ample job opportunities to all who are capable of working. Yesterday's luxuries for most are considered today's necessities. This is typified by young couples who expect to furnish their homes and provide themselves with luxuries as they begin their marriage, which their parents managed to acquire only after many years of struggle and sacrifice. But wanting too much too soon, young couples may succumb to easy credit plans, thereby plunging themselves into serious debt. This would keep them from having the financial means necessary to do as the Church suggests in the matter of food storage 
and other security programs. Overindulgence and poor money management place a heavy strain on marriage relationship. Most marital problems, it seems, originate with economic roots. Either insufficient income to sustain the family <clears throat> or mismanagement of the income as earned. One young father came to his bishop for financial counseling and told of an all-too-frequent story. Bishop, I have been well-trained as an engineer and I earn a good salary. It seems that all through school I was taught how to make money, but no one taught me how to manage money. While we believe, President Tanner continues, that it is desirable for every student to take classes in consumer education, the primary training rests with the parents. Parents should not leave this vital training to chance or transfer the responsibility entirely to our public schools or universities. An important part of our training should be to explain debt. For most of us, there are two kinds of financial debt, consumer debt and then investment or business debt. Consumer debt refers to buying on credit those things we use to consume in daily living. Examples would include installment buying of clothes, appliances, furniture, and so forth. Consumer debt is secured by mortgaging our future earnings. This can be very dangerous. If we are out of work, disabled, or encounter serious emergencies, we have difficulties meeting our obligations. Installment buying is the most expensive way to purchase. To the cost of goods, we must add heavy interest and handling our service charges. We realize that young families find it necessary at times to purchase on credit, but we caution you not to buy more than is truly necessary. Skilled advertisers can create a desire to own unessentials. Pay off your debts as quickly as possible. When money is tight, as it is now, avoid the extra burden of additional interest charges. Investment debt should be carefully secured so as not to encumber family security. Don't invest in speculative ventures, President Tanner warns. The spirit of speculation can become intoxicating. Many fortunes have been wiped out by the uncontrolled appetite to accumulate more and more. Let us learn from the sorrows of the past and avoid enslaving our time, energy, and general health to the gluttonous appetite to acquire increased material goods. President Kimball has given this thought-provoking counsel. The Lord has blessed us as a people with a prosperity unequaled in times past. The resources that have been placed in our power are good and necessary to our work here on earth. But I am afraid that many of us have been surfeited with flocks and herds and acres and barns and wealth and may have begun to worship them as false gods, and they have power over us. President Kimball continues, Do we have more of these things? then our faith can stand. Many people spend most of their time working in the service of a self-image that includes sufficient money, stocks, bonds, and investment portfolios, 
property, credit cards, furnishings, automobiles, and the like to guarantee our future security for a longer life, it is hoped. Forgotten is the fact that our assignment is to use these many resources in our families and in our quorums to build up the kingdom of God. President Tanner goes on to say, by way of testimony, I know of no situation, in referring to President Kimball's remarks, where happiness and peace of mind has increased with the, amass the amassing of property beyond the reasonable wants and needs of the family. Constancy number four, develop and live within a budget. A friend of President Tanner's has a daughter who went overseas with a BYU study abroad program for a semester. She was constantly writing home for more money. His concern was such that the father called her long distance and questioned her about the need for additional funds. At one point in the conversation, the, doctor, the daughter explained, But Dad, I can tell you where every penny you have sent me has been spent. He replied, you don't seem to get the point. I'm interested in a budget, a plan for spending, not in a diary of where the money has gone. Perhaps parents should be more like the father of the college boy who wired home, No mun, no fun, your son. <laughs> His father wired back, How sad. Too bad, your dad. <laughs> President Tanner says it has been his observation in interviewing many people through the years that far too many people do not have a workable budget and have not disciplined themselves to abide by its provisions. Many people think a budget robs them of their freedom. On the contrary, successful people have learned that a budget makes real economic freedom possible. Budgeting and financial management need not be overly complicated or time-consuming. The story is told of an immigrant father who kept his accounts payable in a shoebox, his accounts receivable on a spindle, and his cash in a cash register. I don't see how you can run your business this way, said his Educated son, how do you know what your profit is? Son, replied the immigrant father, when I got off the boat, I had only the pants I was wearing. Today, your sister is an art teacher, your brother is a doctor, and you're an accountant. I have a car, a home, and a business. Everything is paid for. So you add it all up, subtract the pants, and there's the profit. <laughs> Wise financial counselors teach that there are four different elements to any good budget. Provision should be made first for basic operating needs such as food, clothing, and in your case here at this university, your educational costs. Second, for home equity. Third, for emergency needs such as savings, health insurance, life insurance. 
And fourth, for wise investment and a storage program for the future. Nothing seems so certain as the unexpected in our lives. With rising medical costs, health insurance is the only way most families can meet serious accident, illness, or maternity costs. Life insurance provides income continuation when the provider unexpectedly or prematurely is taken. Every family should make provision for proper health and life insurance. After these basics are met, we should, by frugal management, regularly save to create funds for some investment. It has been my observation, says President Tanner, that, if, that few people have been successful with investments who have not first developed the habit of saving regularly. This requires discipline and determination and judgment. There are many ways to invest, but you must choose wisely those who counsel with you. Be sure they merit your confidence with a proven successful investment record. Constancy number five, be honest in all your financial affairs. The ideal of integrity will never go out of style, President Tanner says. It applies to all we do. As leaders and members of the Church, we should be the epitome of integrity, says this great man. Now, as I have studied this timely advice of President Tanner, and which has been given to you for your benefit, I hope that each of you might be blessed with the wisdom contained in it to make it meaningful in your personal lives. It has been given to you by one who loves the Lord, loves his gospel, labors for its success, and has proven himself to all who know him. He, President Tanner, who wanted you to hear these remarks, is known as Mr. Integrity. He understands, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he has witnessed the fulfilling of the Lord's promise that all these things shall be added unto you. Added unto you as are needed and as may be prudent. President Kimball has said, where there is integrity, there is character. And this quality is indispensable in the Lord's work. The Lord inspires his servants to teach and inspire you so that you will not be found unprepared nor unafraid. The Lord, in a revelation to Joseph Smith in 1841, during those tense and critical days, said, 
Blessed is my servant Hiram Smith, for I the Lord love him because of the integrity of his heart, and because he loveth that which is right before me. May each of you understand the constancy of truth. I testify to all of you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. That through the gospel that this is the Lord's way. And that any sincere seeker can know for himself by study and prayer and by seeking the companionship of the Holy Ghost if this work is true. But this work will expand more successfully as people see the principles of the gospel at work in the lives of its members. That includes all of you. May each of you have a desire to follow the leaders of the Church. May each of you love God and to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And I remind you that the Lord said that upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I pray for you as I leave you my blessings and I declare to you that God lives, that he's real, that he is our Father, that he is anxious for us, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I know the witness is mine. I testify to you that this is his church and that Spencer W. Kimball is a prophet of God. This testimony I leave with you in great sincerity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.